Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our health care system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Health Care, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our health care system as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better health care system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the DrScore.com doctor rating website. Well, you can take your credit card and use it at stores all over the world, not just here in the United States, but in countries everywhere. If your doctor has a paper record, your cardiologist um, may be practicing right next door to your family doctor, and their record systems may be completely separate. And when you're in one doctor's office, they know nothing about what happened in the other doctor's office. Medical care seems to be hopelessly behind other fields in this regard. But computer technology is coming to medicine, too, and there's efforts underway, some fostered by federal and state governments, to actually make medical records more uniform so that doctors and hospitals in one location can get access to your medical records so to take care of you in another location. To speak to us about using technology and medical records to improve quality, we have Anne LaFave. She's Associate Director of North Carolina's Area Health Education Centers Program. She functions as the Executive Director of the North Carolina Regional Extension Center, and she directs the Improving Performance in Practice Program for the state of North Carolina. For the past 10 years, she's been working in the ambulatory care setting to help doctors and their staff use technology and quality improvement techniques to improve the provision of primary care services. And welcome to the program today. Thank you. We're going to t- be talking about using technology and medical records to improve quality. What are some of the, the challenges that our healthcare system currently faces that we're going to be able to address using these new technologies? Well, I think maybe for the first time ever, things are looking really hopeful. Um, with the um, onset of new technologies, specifically in ambulatory care, as we move forward, Up until now, we've had a fairly fragmented system of using a paper chart in each practice, um, which is typically a good longitudinal record of of a patient that's seen that doctor over time. Um, The limitations to that are, you know, patients typically have more than one physician, so they may go from, you know, a primary care doctor and then off to a specialist like a cardiologist or an ophthalmologist, Um, and so they would have paper records in all of those offices, um, and there's no way to really have those doctors communicate with each other to make sure that all of their information is recorded in the, in the same place. The other thing that um, we're quickly moving towards with, with the use of technology is that um, paper charts can only look at one patient at a time, and they don't give us an idea of the overall care that's being delivered. They really can only focus on, um, you know, 
this patient as Mrs. Jones, and Mrs. Jones is here today to see the doctor, and that, pa that paper record could be used very well for Mrs. Jones' visit today. Mm -hmm. To treat Mrs. Jones as one of your patients with diabetes, and this is how we treat patients with diabetes, you really would need to look at Mrs. Jones compared to all of your diabetic patients to make sure that the efficacy of your care is where you want it to be um, and how you're providing care is going forward. And what you need to do is to have a relational database of your patients to really see how your care is delivered over time. So are you saying that this is going to help us with that individual patient or that by having charts that are all linked together, we're going to be able to look at outcomes across groups of people as a whole for research purposes? Well, you're, you're going to have um, both or, or even, I guess I would say, all three. <laughs> so um, it will help with the care of Mrs. Jones today as, as she comes in. Um, with technology, we can make sure that we are, if Mrs. Jones has a new prescription today, we can make sure that we're checking to see that she doesn't have any drug or allergy interactions um, with that new medication that we're suggesting she try today. Um, and, and those types of things. So I think it can do a great job in, in collecting more information and helping Mrs. Jones with her decision-making and with her doctor. But I think it, it also can help keep track of Mrs. Jones as part of a database of patients so that we make sure that, you know, if Mrs. Jones misses her next appointment, that there's a follow-up to that that says, Mrs. Jones, you have diabetes, and we recommend that our diabetes patients come in once every three months, and we haven't seen you in a while. And the only way to do that, really, is if Mrs. Jones is part of your database. So it, it, I can remember when, um, as a resident physician in training, I, I had the opportunity to um, cover for a physician who, um, whose partner was called away to um, the first Gulf War, and the, the doctor wanted, desperately wanted a vacation. And so I got to run his practice for a week. And it was very easy to manage his patients. I knew exactly um, what he had done for them in the past and what kind of problems they had because um, he had uh, typed up their records on index cards. Um, and so each patient had a, a single index card. Maybe if it's a long-time pa long patient, they may have had a couple index cards with some very, very brief notes typed in, maybe just a few uh, letters of abbreviations. Um, I imagine if he wanted to follow up people uh, who had had a melanoma or wanted to keep track of patients with diabetes to make sure they had some, some event, um, so, some test done every year, that he could have put those index cards into uh, a Rolodex-like thing and, you know, oh, this is July. These are the people who need to come in for their test. Um, the electronics just makes that easier? It, it makes it easier. I mean, I think that there are some, there's a lot of good systems out there. And so, you know, a Rolodex of your patient, I, I think, would come in handy up until now. But I think we're more sophisticated than that now. And I think your patient, Mrs. Jones, will have a higher expectation, really, as we go forward of, of what you're able to do because we're using technology everywhere. And I think patients will have that expectation in the physician office as well. I think the other thing that will happen is when you're covering um, for those physicians who, who go on vacation or if you're following up on a, on a patient who might also be seen by an oncologist, 
I think that it would be really important, and as we move forward, we're really looking at health information exchange so that if your patient is also seen by other physicians and specialists, um, how can you connect all of your information so that Mrs. Jones's information is all in one place and you as a covering doctor don't have just an index card, but you have a full longitudinal chart of this patient to go by so if anything comes up, you truly are equipped to handle it with that patient. All right. Well, let's talk about how the medical record system has evolved. So we've gone from index cards to charts. Uh, now I'm dictating notes, and they're getting transcribed onto paper into some electronic system. Where are we going from here? Well, I, I think the world is our oyster a, a little bit. I think first we need to get everybody into an electronic format so that we truly can raise the bar, um, you know, across the state and across the country to make sure that the expectations are set that we will have electronic medical records. Um, and then after that, I, I think there's, there's a lot available to us. As you said, you can dictate into it like a digital dictation where it comes up and it prints right into your note. Um, I think a, a lot of what I hope we see in the very near future is some cost reduction to healthcare. Healthcare is very expensive in this country, and one of the reasons it's expensive is we have a lot of redundancy. Um, and a lot of that happens is because we don't share or we're not yet really good at sharing um, information on test results and, and things like that. So if we can get it so our systems can go out and look for the information um, if it's out there and then if not, run the tests, um, I think that we'll see a, a great advantage in the reduction of cost of the U.S. healthcare system. Making the record system more universal makes me think of banking. I, I, I imagine bank records were kept on index cards, and in those days, uh, ATM machines would have been impossible. Now I can go pretty much anywhere in the world and get money out of my account because these systems talk to my bank f from anywhere. I, we're talking about something similar for medical records. Yeah, and, and I think that how this all is unveiled is, is yet to be seen. I think there's a lot of promise and opportunity out there. I think bank cards are a good example of, you know, I think everyone generally accepts the whole debit card system as a fairly safe system. Of course, there's, um, there's some cases of identity theft out there, but they're typically individualized and, and, and for a reason. And I think, by and large, everybody accepts the ATM system. And like you said, it's, it's not only in our country but abroad. And I think moving forward, you know, I, I think what we need to do first is raise the expectation of the consumer um, to, to make sure that the expectations are there, that, um, that your doctor has you in, in a database and, and can help you monitor your care. And, and that's monitor your care along the continuum and not just office by office. So how far along are we towards such a system? Um, well, I think it depends on on who you are, but I think we're probably closer than a lot of people think. Um, I think I'm fairly optimistic in it. But um, North Carolina has a fairly high penetration rate of electronic health records. The um, North Carolina Academy of Family Physicians estimates that their membership runs between 40 and 50% using electronic health records. Um, it varies among specialty, um, but I think North Carolina as a whole 
their providers tend to be pretty cutting edge, and um, and we're seeing a large use of electronic health records currently. Um, so I, you know, I think nationally it's a little um, uncertain about what the penetration of electronic health record use is um, because those numbers are hard to collect. But it's looked at um, pretty much across the board nationally that it's anywhere between 20 and 40 percent use by different provider groups across the country. And I think that as we move forward in the next two years, we'll see a great jump in the use of electronic health records because of some new incentive programs that have been released by the federal government uh, to incentivize providers to use electronic health records as part of the Federal Stimulus Act. Let's assume for the moment you've got all these people on electronic medical records. Um, and, and my practice today is on an electronic system. I know colleagues who use electronic medical records. But right now, those systems aren't talking to one another. So it seems that even if we had everybody on electronic uh, medical records, that doesn't necessarily mean we've increased communication at all. It doesn't. Um, and it, it's really just the first step in, in getting us started on this long journey. Um, the second part of that is what's called health information exchange. And each state in the country um, has been given access to some stimulus funding to help that state build what's called health information exchange, um, which is a, a process that is, is built so that one provider can exchange information with another provider via any elect certified electronic health record system. So it wouldn't have to be the same um, system. So if you look at it in the general sense, um, you know, that a, a Microsoft computer would be able to talk to a, an Apple computer and those types of things. Um, and, you know, it's a sophisticated thing to, to build this, if you will, superhighway of, of health information. Um, I think if you think about it in terms of um, I live in North Carolina. If I am skiing in Aspen, Colorado, and I have an accident on the mountain, it would be nice of, for them to have access to my medical records so that they could really treat me efficiently and effectively. But I think what most people don't really realize is that while that's a, a case in, in emergency medicine where, you, where fast access to the records would be really important, I think most people don't realize that if your primary care doc is on North Main Street and your cardiologist is on South Main Street and you just had a stress test done last week, your primary care doctor does not have the results to that stress test. And yet your primary care doctor may well be looking at being the one who prescribes your hypertensive medication. And so health information exchange, I think, will come in and be very useful for emergency medicine. But I think what the general public needs to understand is that I think we're going to see the most return on the investment in health information exchange by really allowing the multiple doctors that are seen by a patient to really share that information and know every aspect of that patient's care so that the right clinical decisions can be made. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. We're speaking today with... With Anne LaFave, she's Associate Director of North Carolina's Area Health Education Centers. She's the Director of Quality Improvement Efforts at, at that AHEC program. 
And it, it sounds like you're describing a, a couple of different possibilities here. One is that each physician's office has a different electronic medical record system, but that doctors in any one office could access the records in any other, or the possibility that people have a single unified health record that their doctor can add to no matter where their many doctors um, happen to practice. Which of those is, is, is happening, and, and, and exactly where are we in the process of, of, of um, a system where one doctor is going to be able to look and see what other doctors have done? Well, um, I'm not sure it's entirely clear which of those three um, it's going to be. It may be a combination of, of all those. Um, I think it's, it's a complicated process because you do have different proprietary software systems that are collecting this information, and it's not a matter of giving one physician access to another physician's practice. It's more of a can my computer go out and kind of tap your computer on the shoulder and say, I would like, you know, the latest lab results for this patient in this format, and could you please send that back to me? Um, that's probably much more of what health information exchange looks like, so that any protected information that you shared with your doctor at your last um, doctor's visit would, would still be there, but you could actually, um, another doctor could reach out tap on that other system and say, you know, we're looking for this information. Do you have it? And if so, here's how you can get it to me. Um, and it would come back across the data lines electronically. Um, where are we in this process? As I was saying, through the stimulus bill, all, um, all states have been given the opportunity to make a health information exchange or health information technology plan and North Carolina um, is the one that I'm most involved in, and, you know, it's, it's coming right along. I think most states are um, fairly close together in, in where they are in, in building this whole system. So I think some of the answers, the specific answers that consumers will want, are, are still up in the air, but um, I think that there are some really good, smart people working on how to pull all this together to really better the system. But in order to get there, everyone has to be electronic first because it certainly can't happen on paper. All right. So the, the government's, the federal government's stimulus bill is providing some support to states to move towards electronic health systems and health information exchange. Recently, health care legislation passed. Did the health care reform bill contain anything related to electronic medical records? It did. It, it contained quite a bit of in, in there, and, and even more so um, expectations of quality, which I think consumers should, you know, um, really engage in and, and pay attention to. Because once everybody is using an electronic health record, what it does is open the door to really be able to assess the quality of care that's delivered throughout our U.S. healthcare system. Now, how can you do that? These electronic health records can be built as relational databases. So um, as a, a physician, if you provide diabetes care, which is a, a hold, fairly, hold unfortunately Tell, a what, fairly common diagnosis. What, what do you mean by a relational database? A, a relational database basically um, holds your patient's information in, in buckets. <laughs> so okay. If you'll excuse the, the term, but it's it's true, if you... If you look at, or maybe a pegboard, let's talk about a pegboard up on the wall, and, right. and each 
patient has their pegboard of, of information. And so um, while I don't have diabetes, um, you know, my labs are drawn in this way because I, I probably will have just a, a regular old lab panel drawn. If you're a diabetic patient, you're going to have, you know, some specific care geared towards your diabetes, and all patients should have that. And we start to look at, as a provider, is the way that you treat diabetes patients effective for your patients? And I think that that's really important to look at over time. It's called guideline-based care, um, and it's ensuring that what we're using to provide care to patients, what we're using to help guide doctors in, in the best way to treat diabetes um, is truly the best way to treat diabetes. And the only way to do that is to really compare diabetic patients to diabetic patients. So, so are you saying that instead of me trying to give my individual diabetes patient the diabetes care that best fits that individual – that I should give him, that him or her, some average care that is supposedly for the average patient the best, but which may not be the best for my individual patient because, but that way by following the guideline and the electronic health record is going to say I'm doing the best job for the person. No, actually, what I'm saying is that that patient deserves the best of both worlds. So when you see that patient today, you should give that patient the best individualized care. Um, that that patient, you know, absolutely comes to you for. But um, as, in addition to that, um, there's a lot of value in, in seeing the overall care for your diabetic patients to ensure that the, the care that you're providing to that patient in their individualized care um, really is improving the quality of care and for all of your patients. So if each patient gets the individualized care that works the very best for them, um, then you will see the overall quality of your diabetic care improve over time because each patient is reaping the reward of it. What the electronic I, I, I'm health having trouble following this. Let's just assume for the moment that I'm like the best diabetes doctor there ever was and I'm providing individualized care to the patients to optimize their care. And so all the very worst, most difficult to control diabetic patients get sent to me. And so over time, my average patient's glucose control is actually getting worse and worse over time because everybody knows that I'm the person to see for, for difficult diabetes. It seems like the, an electronic system that looks at my records is going to flag me as, as, as getting worse and worse over time, even when I'm delivering the best possible care. How do you get around things like that? Well, I, I mean, I think it, 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 what it could be is risk-adjusted so that it would look at, um, you know, the, the types of patients that you have, um, their age, their comorbidities, um, and, and those types of things can be risk-adjusted to make sure that it's looked at. But I think what's most important is as a provider, your expectations for the outcomes of your patients should still be very positive. And, and I think without that relational database and without being able to pull data on your patients, my question to you as a provider would be, how do you know? How, I, how do you that's know a great question. How do you know is a great question, but I'm just not convinced that you have a way of measuring, even with an electronic health system, um, uh, a way of showing who is better. I mean, it'd be nice to, 
to address quality. Um, you want to do that? I think every doctor wants to provide their care, best, best possible care to their patients. Hopefully, every doctor thinks they already are given the best possible care to their patients. But given the limitations of variation among people, the lack of measures, the potential for selection, I just don't know how you, how you come up with a system that tells you whether you're providing better care or not. I mean, take the simplest example. Let's say we knew that beta blockers helped people who had a heart attack or something like that. And so we'll just measure the percentage of the patients that have had a heart attack who are on beta blockers. But if you've got patients in your practice who they have allergic reactions to beta blockers or they develop impotence or, you know, when they, they develop heart block and, you know, you don't want those patients on beta blockers. It's going to make you look bad when you're, when you're giving them the best care for that patient, which is to avoid the beta blocker. Right. Well, I think that um, there might be a little confusion here in that the purpose of improving quality is so that we improve the care that you're providing to your patient. It's not necessarily to judge one provider against another. It's so that in the program that we have here at the North Carolina AHEC program, it really is so that you can pull the data, you can see what type of care you're providing, and then we help you with the tools and techniques to improve that care. And that's the purpose of the program is, is to truly go practice by practice, provider by provider, and help them learn about their own data and how can they improve their own data. Um, and, and I think the only way to do that is through electronic means. So do you guys have a, a prototype example of, of, of something that's measurable, a measure, some quality measure that you can use that uh, you could say, well, if they do this, they're optimizing quality or anything along those lines. Well, what we use here as we work as part of the Improving Performance in Practice program, which is a national initiative that was launched through the American Board of Medical Specialties. Um, North Carolina was um, a pilot state for that program, and we currently have about 180 practices participating with it. Um, what we've found in Improving Performance in Practice is that if if practices work in what we call four high-leverage change areas, um, that they will see an improvement in their patient outcomes. And some of those changes are very much um, within the practice walls of the process of how they deliver the care. And then other parts of the change package deal with the patient and their lifestyles and how do you help patients to change, which is the much harder side of this. But we've found that there, of the four high-leverage changes, there are three. One is using an electronic database for your patients to not only compile the data, but to also provide you with alerts about the care that needs to be delivered today. So if a patient presents today with an earache, if that patient has diabetes and they haven't been in in six months, you need a system that can say, oh, by the way, don't forget, this patient has diabetes and is behind on their diabetic test. And, and we can catch those up while they're here today. Um, the other high leverage change we have for practices to use is a template to guide their care so that as the patient is here for an, an, for an earache or you know, back pain or other things that they may come in for, you have a, a device in front of you that will say, the last time this patient was in, 
their hemoglobin A1C was drawn, and here's what the result was. Um, so that you have that information at your fingertips and you're not having to dig through a chart for it, but that information um, is, is at their fingertips for the provider and the entire care team. Because the third step in this is really team-based care that's driven by disease-based protocol. So when Mrs. Jones walks through the door, we recognize that Mrs. Jones is one of our patients who has diabetes, and the entire team knows what needs to be done for a patient that has diabetes so that everybody can take care of all of the different aspects of the diabetes care, and the physician can lead that team in helping that patient address what they need. But there's a lot involved in a diabetic visit, and if you involve the whole team, it's more apt to get done while the patient's there. And then the fourth high leverage change in that is the patient's self-management of their own disease. Because let's face it, the patient has much more influence over their own care than can ever be provided in the practice. Um, so we help practices with ways to help with patient goal setting and how the providers can track and follow up on those goals with patients. Um, taking into consideration health literacy issues so that the patients truly can understand and by using teach back techniques and things like that and working with your patient population to make sure that you're doing as much as you can to overcome some of the barriers with that patient. There seems to be tremendous opportunity for uh, quality improvement with electronic records, uh, the transferability of information from place to place, the alerts to follow people up at intervals, alerts for um, medication reactions, uh, allergies, drug interactions. Uh, those are all terrific. What about the downsides? Do you see any downsides to electronic records? You mentioned the possibility of identity theft. We hear about hospitals, medical systems losing control over records on hundreds of thousands of people all at once. I guess that's one of the limitations. I mean, I, I certainly think that that's a limitation. I, I don't know that I've heard hundreds of thousands, but I, but I will, I will take you up on that. <laughs> I think that somebody's. A, I agree a VA, with you. I mean, a, a, a breach from the of VA information had, with electronic yeah. health records may actually allow a larger um, amount of data to be accessed be, because it is neatly stored. I, um, I think that in my, in my in my view on this, there's there's much more to be gained than, than lost in, in doing this. Um, I actually was um, a healthcare provider in Hurricane Floyd, and I saw our medical chart floating up near the ceiling of dialysis centers. Mm. Um, and, you know, computers would have been floating too, but hopefully they would have been backed up somewhere or held off-site where there was no hope for these paper charts. Um, and, you know, so I think in disaster recovery type of situations, um, I, I think there's much more promise in electronic health records. I think that it, in my personal opinion of all of this, if there's one thing that um, we stand to risk, it's that um, we have a whole lot of information out there. And if we exchange it too suddenly, um, we may be exchanging bad information. <laughs> so I think the methodical approach that most states that I know of that are working on this, that are taking, um, I really think is the best way to go about this so that we really do get everyone up on electronic formats with their patient data and then move into health information exchange 
is, is going to be the best way to go about this. So I think the pros outweigh the cons by far. Well, let's hope so, because it's definitely a direction that, that we're moving in. I, I think um, some of the other cons I see, sometimes too much information is, is really tough to deal with, but I guess computers can be set up to to provide snapshots of data that are that are most helpful to various specialties. Clicking on the wrong button will replace um, um, handwriting problems as a, an issue. Um, and then while, you know, I, I think your, your point about the, the paper records floating away, electronic records you can back up. On the other hand, I think computers probably crash more often than hurricanes flood the office. So going to the doctor and him not having access because the power's out could be a potential problem. I think it, I think it could be. But I'll be honest with you, very few exam rooms have windows. So if the power's out, it probably was going to be an issue with a paper chart as well. Yeah, well, flashlight solves that, but yeah. <laughs> I think maybe um, we'll have so I mean, cell phone I think access to the records. Though. I, I mean, there's there's definitely, um, you know, I agree. I, I think you know when you're selecting from a huge drop down list of medications, there's there is a risk of selecting the wrong one. There's there's no question about that. Um, I think that, you know, I, I think some of this the information that you're getting from other providers. Um, Will it will help if we can build what's called bi-directional interfaces, so that information isn't coming into you in, in a dump format, but it's coming in and populating into your system, so you know where to find it and what you're looking for, things like that. I, I think that that will be very helpful. I think one of the big things that I see on the horizon that I'm looking forward to for my own family is the ability to really track your own medical records. Um, and, and I think, you know, knowing, you know, where that information is and, and how it's updated and things like that, I think will be very important to especially younger consumers that are, are going to grow into the middle-aged <laughs> consumers. Um, they're going to have a different set of expectations about their medical records and how they're kept. And I think that we need to meet those expectations. And do you have any final suggestions for our listeners about um – their health um, or their health care today? I guess my only recommendation out there would be the same one that I give to my 72-year-old parents um, is that, you know, I think people need to look towards technology as a tool. It's, you know, it's not an answer to a prayer. It's, it's a tool that can be used in health care the same as it's used in every other industry out there. It's going to have its bumps and its glitches. Um, but I think overall there isn't any industry that's implemented technology and then moved back out of it. And I think healthcare is going to find the same thing. And I think consumers need to start to expect the use of technology as a tool to deliver their care. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Once upon a time, people were cared for by their family doctor, and there just wasn't a need for a lot of specialists. There wasn't that that much the medical um, care had to offer that people needed specialists. And in, in a day when people were just cared for by one doctor, maybe one paper record made some sense. But it certainly doesn't make sense anymore. Now, 
Medical technology has advanced tremendously, and we see multiple specialists who are focused in a particular area and can offer modern miracles. But this has resulted in needing far greater coordination of care than can possibly be achieved with each doctor having their own very limited paper record. Electronic health records that can be utilized by doctors across multiple systems makes a lot of sense. The old way just doesn't. Electronic medical records are here to stay, and it's probably going to be a good thing. They're, they're not without risks, but it's certainly better than what we have been living with, what our system has evolved from, um, and it's, it's time to change over. Well, you know, another way that the electronic um, revolution is changing people's lives is through social media. On our show next week, we'll be speaking with someone who's on the cutting edge of using social media uh, with his patients. This is Dr. Jeff Bonabio, a dermatologist uh, with Kaiser Permanente in San Diego. I know you're not going to want to miss it. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Our music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Until our next show, I wish you the best of health. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.